I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 9 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are talking about a newly named, though not a new diagnosis in tennis, something called backhand wrist. Our guest this week is a physical therapist, a former college and, of course, former junior tennis player who unfortunately suffered from this injury in college and underwent some pretty horrific treatment that didn't fix the issue. That drove her to pursue her passion to help others avoid injury and to find a better way to treat it when it shows up in young players and college players and really players of any age. Kayla Epperson recently published a paper with Dr. Niru Jayanthi about backhand wrist, and she's here to discuss that with all of us in this week's episode. If you're interested, you can watch the video version on our YouTube channel. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Kayla Fujimoto Epperson. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Lisa Stone with Parenting Aces, and I am joined today by Kayla Fujimoto Epperson, who is a physical therapist, but more importantly, a former collegiate tennis player. Kayla, welcome. Um, You and I did a podcast a few months ago, right, I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic or right before the pandemic hit, and man, a lot's happened since March. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. I'm going to just flash your website and the link for your website up on the screen right now. The Athlete Connection is your physical therapy practice, and this is the web link for anybody wanting to take a look. Um, So why don't you share briefly with our audience a new study that you have just published and the reason that you decided to pursue this line of research? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm really honored to have just um, published this article. It's called Backhand Wrist. Um, It's a new tennis-specific diagnosis for elite-level junior tennis players. I worked on this with um, Dr. Miu Jayanthi from Emory University, as well as Dr. Michael Goshchak, who's at Emory, and then Dr. Gary Lurie, who works with the Atlanta Braves as their hand and wrist surgeon. Um, So kind of the the start of this um, this publication for us or this clinical commentary that we published was because I suffered from this injury as a college tennis player and uh, Dr. Gianthi during uh, at his tennis medicine program at Emory was starting to see more and more junior players presenting to his clinic with you know similar complaints of this wrist pain on the non-dominant wrist during a two-handed backhand and so what we really wanted to do was kind of better define this injury type specifically for tennis players and then talk about uh, the really sports-specific management of it and conservative management so that players can avoid surgery and hopefully get back on the court sooner rather than than later. So in college, I started having this type of wrist pain. I would say it was my um, sophomore year. I did change my stroke mechanics my freshman year, and that may or may not have played a role in it, but we're finding, you know, based on expert opinion and then just some players that we've seen in clinic that, you know, this likely does play a role in, in having this injury. Um, I played through it my entire sophomore season, 
with wearing a brace and just kind of playing through the pain. And then it got to the point my junior year that it was really too painful for me to play through it. And I ended up having surgery. Um, and then, you know, through my clinical career as a physical therapist, I was still having pain. Um, you know, it didn't quite feel right ever since I had that surgery and, um, you know, using my hands all day long, it was really starting to bother me. I actually filmed some videos with Mark Kovacs. This was last summer and I was hitting and it was just so, the pain was so unbearable that I actually had to have all the hardware that I had put in removed last year. And that was like when I was like, really, we got to do something about this and, you know, try and help players avoid having a surgery, avoid having complications down the line. And so that's kind of where it took me to getting this publication into works with my colleagues. And it was recently published in uh, the journal Tennis Medicine and Science in July this year. Wow. I mean, it- Playing through pain is a common thing that junior players do. They either don't want to admit that they've hurt something. They're scared to go to the doctor and find out that they might need surgery like you you know, found out you did. Um, they don't want to take time away. They're afraid of falling behind their peers and their rankings. And especially older juniors who may have started the recruiting process and, you know, they're scared they're going to miss major tournaments. And so they just continue playing through it. But with this backhand risk, can you explain like exactly what the symptoms are so that somebody knows that, hey, I, you know, when I, if I'm feeling this, I do need to get it checked out, but these are the things I need to describe very clearly to my doctor or my physical therapist? Yeah, definitely. So for backhand wrist, um, it's ulnar wrist pain. So the ulna is this long bone on the outside of your wrist, on the pinky side of the wrist. And uh, tennis players will complain of pain kind of right in this kind of spot, right where the end of that long bone in the forearm, just before the hand area, you can feel like a divot in that space. Some I'm players just feeling have, it on myself right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So some players might have pain there or right on top of that bony part on top of the forearm and the pinky side of the wrist. And usually they'll complain of pain hitting two-handed backhands at ball impact. Um, pain that worsens maybe throughout practice or throughout a match, so over time, um, or pain that kind of came on suddenly um, without a really true injury incident, like a fall or anything like that. Well, you know, that might exacerbate some of the symptoms, but it's really kind of pain that comes on out of nowhere, maybe from overuse, um, and it's on that two-handed backhand or, you know, on a shot where you're hitting really heavy tops, then they might start feeling it. So it's on the non-dominant hand on the yes. backhand side, but yeah. but it could happen, you're saying, on the dominant side on a forehand if you're hitting a lot of topspin because of the pronation or? Yeah, so for the purpose of our, um, our commentary, we really focus on non-dominant wrist pain, so during okay. a two-handed backhand, but um, some of the mecha- like mechanics and some of the um, injury risk patterns are prevalent on the forehand side as well. Okay, and so it's that pain on the pinky side, um, it's specific to that side, and it's much like we talk about tennis elbow, which is a diagnosis that's been around forever and doesn't necessarily limit itself to tennis players. Um, that tends to be more tendon driven, though, right? Where is this? What is this? Is it a tendon? Is it bone? Is it muscle? 
Yeah, so when we get into kind of the anatomy, it can be a number of different things, which is why we really wanted to define it. Um, I mean, it's difficult to define this type of wrist pain because there are so many different structures in the wrist in this area. And so you really have to have a keen eye during the clinical exam to kind of differentiate what structures are actually involved. And in this particular injury, it can be a combination of things. So the first thing um, that is commonly involved is a muscle tendon, the extensor carpalinaris tendon, which runs from your elbow all the way to the wrist and hand. And its job is to help stabilize the wrist during motion. So as the forearm is moving from, you know, a supinated position into pronation or that kind of creating that top spin type movement, its job is to help stabilize the outside of the wrist um, while also helping to kind of extend, but then also drop the, sorry, I'm looking at camera weird, drop the uh, racket head below the ball. Okay. Oh. You froze there for um, that, a second. That tendon can be involved whether it's developing tendonitis. Oh, sorry. No, you're back. You're back. Go ahead. Am I back now? Yeah. Okay. So it, that that muscle tendon can be involved whether it's developing tendonitis in that area or having instability in that tendon as it kind of rolls over the bone on the outside of the wrist. Okay. Um, another structure that is commonly involved is called your TFCC. It's your triangular fibrocartilage complex, and what that is is a it's a cartilage structure that runs from your from this bone to this bone and inserts in into the hand and wrist and its primary role is to help stabilize the wrist and hand at ball impact or you know facilitate low transmission across the wrist and forearm with any sort of impact activity so that's another structure that can be involved in that area too and then we're also just generally talking about the space between your ulna this long bone in your forearm and your wrist and hand in this area and there are some anatomical variations that can happen um, where this space can be maybe smaller in certain people or larger in certain people and that can sometimes play a role. Okay so when you talk about having pain in this area what type of pain is it a shooting pain is it a stabbing pain is it just a constant ache how does it manifest or is it different in everybody? So I'd say more commonly it's going to be kind of diffuse pain that's just kind of in and around this area of the wrist. Um, some players will have like a sharp pain at ball impact as soon as the racket um, hits the ball and you're, you're sustaining more force through that area. Um, and then they'll probably have after playing tennis, have just kind of a lot of like achy, deep achiness and soreness that doesn't really go away for a period of time after playing. Um, you know, if it's pain that's shooting to the pinky or shooting all the way up to the elbow, it could be a little bit different and there might be more nerve structures involved. But I would say more commonly, it'd be the most pain right at ball impact and then more just kind of diffuse nagging pain and soreness during the match or um, after the match. Okay. I want to just throw out to our viewers, if you have questions, you can type them in the comments and we can see those and I will uh, offer them up to Kayla for her expertise. So please type those in if you'd like. And um, so Kayla, I wanted to ask you, you said you had surgery as a result of having this type of pain during your college tennis years. And one of the things that kind of was the impetus behind you becoming a physical therapist was this whole notion of, you know, I wish I hadn't had surgery. I wound up having to undo what the surgeon did. And that was another surgery and meant more time away from the courts. 
Um, what would be a, a proper treatment for this type of injury if it doesn't involve a surgical fix? So I would say the, the hallmark um, treatment for this type of injury would definitely be more conservative management. And the first thing that we would probably look at are specific stroke modifications a player can make. And this can be, um, you know, changing your grip type, changing your ball contact, like your strike zone um, area, and then also changing some of your mechanics during the preparation phase of that two-handed backhand or during your take back. So number one would be looking at grip type. Um, Western and semi-Western grip types are most often associated with pain on the pinky side of the wrist. And when players have that extreme Western grip, or they're really kind of supinated underneath the racket head on, on their non-dominant wrist, this can create more stress um, throughout that muscle tendon I talked about at the beginning, and then also just that space in between the end of your ulna or that long bone and your wrist and hand. So that sort of technique can be involved, an extreme Western grip, same with on the forehand side, an extreme Western grip on the forehand side. Um, can lead to involvement of this type of ulnar wrist pain. And this is something that um, Cece Bellas had surgery on. And I know I'm okay sharing that because she's been very open with her yeah. um, injury and recovery. And, you know, she's got a really extreme Western grip. And kind of over time, that can lead to some degenerative changes within that area. Um, another thing to look at are during the preparation phase or that take back with the two-hand and backhand is the player excessively dropping their non-dominant wrist below the ball to create heavy topspin. And so this motion is called ulnar deviation or trying to deviate the wrist towards that ulnar side. Um, and again, that's just, again, decreasing space through that end of the wrist and hand and maybe creating more force through the structures that help with shock absorption, but also stability in that area. So players that are excessively dropping their racket head and take back or, um, maybe not using enough of their lower body to, to get to a good ball contact position. They're catching it a little bit too low instead of up in a more neutral position at waist height. And then over time, just kind of dropping that racket head over and over. We're just impinging on the structure. And that's kind of what I, I had going on um, and with my injury. And something that I wish I might've looked at um, prior to having surgery is trying to look at my, my take back and changing some of my stroke mechanics there, maybe even my grip type and switching more of like an eastern forehand grip with the non-dominant wrist and kind of see how that that helps um yeah. in acute cases bracing or taping can be used to just uh, try to stabilize across the wrist um so in my whole sophomore year i played in a tiger paw brace um and that's something that i recommend to players who are in season and maybe can't make some of those mechanical changes right away or if they you know really can't take any rest time um it's a gymnastics brace but it really helped me with just creating stability and I, it was comfortable enough for me to play with it and still hit my two-hand and backhand and then um another part of the treatment process would be uh you know, strengthening. So forearm sh grip strength, um, working on your rotator cuff and scapular control, everything kind of up the kinetic chain to just improve stability and, and force transmission as you're um, hitting your two-handed backhand. So you mentioned grip, and I want to kind of delve into that a little bit because grip impacts everything with a tennis player, right? Um, the way you hold the racket affects 
everything else in the body, the way you move to the ball, how low you have to bend to get underneath the ball, all kinds of stuff. And grip is often something that isn't really addressed in a proper manner in a developing player. It's very difficult to switch your grip as you get further down the line in your development. I've had coaches try and change my grip now as a you know 57 year old woman who's been playing her whole life. And I can tell you it's awful. <laughs> I feel like a total, you know, I don't know. I mean, I have no, no space time control <laughs> of anything. So Fixing the grip from the get-go, making sure that a player has a proper grip for all of their strokes from the beginning so that they can develop that over time and then develop the appropriate strength around that grip is key. And Mm -hmm. it's a piece of the process that's often overlooked. Um, A lot of junior coaches may just not have the education around grips. Um, they, They know how to how to identify them, but they, they don't understand why certain grips should be used or shouldn't be used at certain times. So as parents, what can we do to make sure that our kids are being taught proper grips? What are some of the things we should be looking out for to ensure that our players are using the proper grips and then, you know, hopefully avoiding these types of injuries. And for some reason you just muted Kayla. So just letting you know, there you go. go. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, I'm definitely, I'm not a tennis coach, like I, and I don't want to overstep my bounds in that sense, but when a player does start presenting with wrist pain, it is really important to take a look at what specific grip they're using and if they have good form. And then from a rehab side too, as a physical therapist, I think it's hard when you bring your kid into a, um, a doctor or to a physical therapist who maybe doesn't understand tennis or tennis grip types. Um, that can also be problematic because they may start rehabbing, you know, just the symptoms and right. you know, the general strengthening, then not making that modification on the court. So then this player, while they're developing strength, they might go back and still be using maybe poor mechanics or mechanics that are exacerbating their injury. And so you're kind of spinning the wheel in that sense too. So as a parent, I think um, if your child is starting to have wrist pain, like consider, you know, grip type and stroke mechanics. And maybe that's something is mentioned to the coaches. Do you think, you know, are there any mechanics that could be involved in, you know, some of this pain and looking at, you know, are they striking the ball in a more neutral wrist position? Are they really, you know, overly, um, overly, you know, flicking the wrist to get more top spin or can they be using more of their lower body to create that spin? Um, can they try to not be as extreme Western grip with that non-dominant wrist and come more to an Eastern forehand grip? Um, the same thing goes if your player does have to go to rehab, maybe bring encourage them to bring your racket with them and show the therapist, like, this is exactly, this is how I hit my backhand and this is when it hurts because then the therapist can get a better idea. Okay, well, maybe we need to modify um, how you're taking back the racket too. Um, and some therapists, if they're, like I said, if they're not familiar with tennis, they, they may not make that association right away unless a parent or player brings it to their attention. Right. And I, 
you know, you are a tennis specific physical therapist. I suspect there aren't a lot of people out there like you who specialize in tennis physical therapy. So what do you do if you're a player or the parent of a player who is presenting with this type of pain or injury? So I would just get, um, I would just know what are the, um, the injury risk patterns associated with backhand wrist. And so this was done by Dr. Janthi and his colleagues at the Emory Tennis Medicine Program. They came up with injury risk associations. Um, when you do like a, a stroke analysis by video or just, you know, just watching your player. And they found that um, the increased incidence or increased risk of developing backhand wrist in a player that is excessively dropping the wrist. And they say more than 30 degrees, but you can kind of visualize here um, if they're excessively dropping that wrist toward the pinky side. And then if they're also catching the ball in the contact position below waist height. So those are two things to really look for in your tennis player. And if they are doing that with a more, um, you know, semi-Western to Western grip on that non-dominant wrist. So I'd say those three areas, excessive um, dropping the wrist below racket height at ball contact, um, you know, having an extreme you know, Western grip where maybe they could be a little bit more Eastern and then getting a ball contact position that is a little bit too low out of their strike zone where they you know, might have to drop their wrist in order to make good contact and create a lot of spin in that area. Got it. You mentioned that when you developed this injury, you were in the middle of season. And so you had to figure out a way just to get through the season. This is a common, I don't want to say problem, a common occurrence in junior tennis where maybe not right this minute, but typically there are three weekends out of the month or two weekends out of the month where the junior is actually competing. And so having the time to rest an injury and make the necessary adjustments to avoid the injury are really challenging. What recommendations do you have around those kinds of situations? Yeah, so that's always a challenging discussion. It's when a player is injured, is, is this a playable injury or is this something that I need to stop, shut down, and take a break? Is it something I'm going to make worse if I keep playing? Right. And so, um, you know, I think it's really player dependent and also dependent on how severe their symptoms are. Like, I wouldn't force a kid to play through a lot of pain. I was in college and I at that point I was like, I'm just going to do it. Like I'm in the middle of my conference season. And to me that made more sense. And if I could wear a brace and, you know, I didn't have any pain with the brace on, then I thought, you know, that's okay for me to do just to make it through those last couple months of season. Um, in a junior player that's maybe developing or um, in that pre-pubertal stage, I would be more cautious about playing through pain because they have open growth plates. Um, maybe they're not as muscular, muscularly mature. Um, and that's where we don't really want to push through a lot of pain in that age group. And that might be a period of time where it's like, okay, we need to shut down, maybe work on the stroke mechanic and, you know, try to make a change now when you're younger, as opposed to waiting until, um, you know, you, you get a little bit older and this is a much bigger problem down the road. So I think those are things to consider. Um, I'm much more conservative with the athletes that's, you know, under 16 years old and still growing, developing, um, you know, not really pushing and playing through pain. Um, 
the college athletes a little bit different and also depending on where you are in your season. So I don't know if that answered your question as clearly, but um, it is pretty player dependent. Right. Well, and I think one thing to consider is, you know, if you are going to play through this pain, are you causing further damage to the wrist? And is that going to follow you the rest of your life? Because one thing we don't want to have happen is for a player to develop an injury like this. And even once they're done with their competitive years, and I'm I'm not saying competitive like I compete, you know, in women's tennis, but rather in, you know, college or junior competition or whatever. We don't want that injury lingering and causing them problems the rest of their lives. Exactly. So I would say because of, I would say in most cases that TFCC structure is involved and that's the primary stabilizer of the wrist or shock absorber and that structure it's it doesn't have very good blood supply so it's not really going to heal on its own and so if you keep playing and you do have sort of some sort of involvement with that structure and you just create more and more degenerative changes you know you could develop a, a worse injury in the long term through that than you would if you would maybe address the mechanics or the root cause of why this pain is occurring so that you're maybe not stressing that side of the wrist as much um i will say that um, this injury does have one kind of um, intrinsic risk factor or a factor that you maybe don't have as much control over. And that can be some people are born with a longer ulna than their radius. So like these two bones, um, one, the ulna could extend a little bit longer than your radius, um, which is on the thumb side of the forearm. And that can often lead to some of that decreased space here in that ulnar side or pinky side of the wrist. And so in my case, um, when we talk about ulnar variance, so it's how far this bone extends past the radius, and they should be relatively equal. Um, mine was one millimeter longer than my radius, so maybe that did predispose me to having more of this mm-hmm. ulnar wrist pain. Um, I think in Cece's case, she had you know up to four millimeters or more. Um, wow. And so... Dr. Lurie, um, another reason why we did this clinical commentary was because right now there really aren't any clear clinical standards for when you to do surgery versus not. And so according to Dr. Lurie, his expert opinion is anything less than two millimeters difference in that, that length of the ulna versus the radius on the outside of the, on the thumb side um, should be managed conservatively and really trying to work on um, you know, strengthening stroke modification, grip strength, more um, control through the shoulder and, and stroke mechanics. And anything from um, two to four millimeters, he um, recommends a less invasive procedure where they just kind of go in and shave down a little portion of the ulna and create a little bit more space in that area. And then anything beyond four millimeters, he recommends having um, where they go in, they they take a little piece out of your ulna, they shorten it, put a plate, plate and screws in, and then uh, call it a day. And that's what I had. And so when so I one millimeter, you had that. Yeah. So when I found that oh out from gosh. him, you know, I you know, thinking back, I was like, wow, I really wish I might have spent more time on the conservative management or just trying to understand this injury a little bit more because I ended up having those complications down the road where my Hardware really started to bother me. I had a longer recovery because it was a more invasive procedure. Um, And when I looked into the research, there really aren't 
clinical standards for this. So that's why another big reason why we wanted to get this information out there is because even if you do have that anatomical variant, there are varying degrees of it that would warrant um, better outcomes with surgery versus not having surgery. So just so I'm understanding this clearly, the first step in the process, if somebody presents with backhand wrist, is to look at stroke mechanics and make adjustments if that's warranted. Assuming stroke mechanics are fine, then the next step is working on grip strength, um, forearm strength, stability through the rotator cuff, the shoulder, um, and making sure that all of, you know, that up the chain from the wrist is strong and stable and able to sustain the repetitive motion of hitting backhands, which are a necessary part of tennis for most of us. Um, and then after that, if that doesn't work, then the next step, the, the most radical step would be the surgical procedure, depending on the differential, differential in the length between the radius and the ulna, um, either shaving off a little bit of the radius or going in and actually cutting off a portion mid forearm and inserting a plate. Did I say that right? Yeah. So, yes. And I think um, one other step in the conservative piece would be um, playing with a brace or taking a period of time off as well. Yes. Um, and then in the, an older, you know, athlete, maybe a college athlete, they can, if they're in season, some sort of a cortisone injection, um, that might just help with some pain management and managing some inflammation in that area, which I had while I was in season and it did help a lot with just masking some of that pain while I was in season. What about using things like Advil or, you know, some other sort of anti-inflammatory that's less, invasive than getting a cortisone injection? Yeah, um, I'm really not a huge proponent of using pain medications, um, just because especially in our in the younger athletes, we want to really know why this is causing we don't causing pain, we don't want to just mask it. Um, and so the you know, personally, I, I don't, I don't like recommending that. Um, okay. And I, I would recommend more of the, you know, stroke mechanics rest, um, modifying, um, your training um, or activity before doing that. Is this injury something that heat or ice can help with? So that can help kind of manage symptoms like after a match or after playing or in between matches if you're if it's something where you're playing through it. Um, but again, I think you have to think kind of global big picture. Why is this happening? And that's where some of the changes like doing a strengthening program or a rehab program um, in addition to making those stroke modifications is probably your best bet for the best outcome over time. If somebody is, let's say they've been diagnosed with backhand wrist, they're going to physical therapy, they've been released to go back to training or competition, what are some of the maybe warm-up exercises they can do to get the wrist ready to play? Um, what are some of the recovery exercises they can do to manage as they're going through the recovery process? Yeah, so I think 
um, the number one thing I would say is working on a lot of your rotator cuff strength and scapular strength. I think a lot of people, when they think about an injury, they tend to look at just that part of where the actual injury is occurring. But it's really important as a tennis player to think about, am I really using my lower body, my core, my shoulder, and, and all my stabilizing, my trunk muscles? Um, am I warming those up properly before a match and really activating and using those? Or am I just using a lot of you know, wrist and forearm and maybe creating more stress to that area. But in addition to doing, you know, the trunk and core stability and, and rotator cuff uh, warm up, I would say working on anything um, with your grip strength, whether that's doing wrist flexion exercises, wrist extension with either, you know, band or with, um, with light dumbbells, doing controlled um, deviation side to side. So from thumb side to pinky side, that can help uh, to establish better stability across the wrist and forearm. And then also doing, um, so I like using that, I'm sorry, I don't have any props with me, but using a hammer and doing um, controlled pronation and supination and just trying to work on, again, stability and controlled motion with a, that hammer, it's usually top heavy. Um, and then it really forces the wrist to try and stabilize that extra weight as you rotate side to side. So those would be more kind of strengthening or warm up exercises prior to tennis activity. And then what about after practice or after a match? So afterwards, you know, this type of injury where it's located, it's really not associated with like a loss of motion or anything. Most cases it's happening because players have too much mobility or, or maybe some instability in the area. So it's not like anything afterwards where you would need to be doing stretching or something like that, but maybe continuing to do more stability exercises after a match so that you're again, just reinforcing um, better stability across wrist and forearm and that probably make it feel better than if, you know, you tend to just overuse, 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 and then afterward, it's just kind of sore and tired, and you can do those activation exercises to actually make it feel better. Okay. I mean, what's so interesting to me about this injury is it's easily diagnosed, it sounds like, if you know what you're looking for, you know, if you understand where the pain is and what your grips are and how you're making contact with the ball, um, for somebody that understands all of that, you say, oh, yeah, you've got backhand wrist and here's what we do about it. And changing the grip is, again, it's a simple thing to do. It's not easy for the player, but it's something that can be done. And typically, you know, it takes anywhere from what, two to four weeks to kind of groove that grip change so that it becomes comfortable. Is that a fair timeline? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, it depends the level of the player, too, and how much body awareness they have, how comfortable they are with changes. And, yeah. But um, I think that, uh, I think that, um, you know, I mean, that sounds like a reasonable time to me. Okay. Um, so we've got a question. Um, what is, what's your therapy degree? <laughs> um, I have my um, doctor of physical therapy. Okay, because um, uh, this, uh, it's a mom, um, is saying that doctors don't typically recommend cortisone for professional athletes. Um, what do you know about that? Yeah, so I say I am not recommending cortisone injections. I'm just ex- you know, explaining what I my personal experience was. Um, I was given a cortisone injection when I was in college going through this injury. And, um, you know, I think there's a good debate out there on 
usefulness or not and you know whether they're recommended or not and I'm I'm not going to open that can of worms because that's not my I'm not a um, medical doctor to make those decisions but I always I'm a huge proponent of more conservative not you know masking pain with pain medication or injections um, I think at the time you know I was in the middle of my comfort season and I was like what can we do to just mask some of those pain just to get through it and then rehab it after season. So that's, I was kind of in a cleanup job situation and it, you know, that's really why I'm doing this work now is because it, it's not a fun place to be in and, um, and it's not somewhere that I would want, you know, my athletes that I rehab to, to be in those situations. Right. And so I think, you know, just to clarify, um, Kayla was describing her experience, not what she would necessarily recommend for anybody else. So um, physical therapy, grip change, rest, all of these things are definitely um, more favorable options and more desired options for an athlete suffering from backhand wrist. But I, you know, to me, what's so interesting about this is that this is kind of a new diagnosis. Yeah. So that was, um, you know, one of our main goals was just like we have a diagnosis for tennis elbow. Like we wanted to come up with this new tennis specific diagnosis because, you know, ulnar wrist pain or pain on the pinky side of the wrist is really common in athletics and you know, golfers and anything we have to grip a, an implement, um, you know, hockey, lacrosse, um, you know, baseball. I've worked with a softball player that has had symptoms of this too. And similar principles apply as, as far as the treatment goes. You know, is it something mechanics related? Is it related to an actual strength or stability issue? Um, but I think our primary goal was to define it as backhand risk because in from the medical side, um, they're really – there isn't as much of a tennis knowledge. And so from your perspective, when we talk about stroke modifications, like, oh, that makes complete sense. I could see why why that would help this area. But from the rehab side, in my experience, you know, you don't run into a lot of therapists that, um, you know, know a lot about tennis and tennis-specific, you know, strokes or grip types. I mean, some players don't even know grip types when you ask them what grip they use. And you come, they'll come in and you're like, well, what's your grip? And then you they're like, well, I don't know. And you hand them a racket and they're like, oh, okay, now that's your grip. So yeah. I think that was our goal was to just increase the awareness around it and um, so that it can be better recognized and knowing exactly what structures are involved and then implementing those specific stroke modifications from a, a rehab standpoint. Because like I said, a player can come in with wrist pain on their pinky side of their wrist and we could rehab it all day and do strength training. But then if they're going back on the court and maybe using some of these stroke mechanics that are putting more stress on their wrist, then you know the injury may or may not change from that point going forward. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, making those grip changes, making those stroke changes are an integral part of fixing this issue, recovering from it, and making sure that it's not a long-term problem for the player. What's happening with CeCe Bellis in that regard? Do you know? Uh, so she's back out playing. She looked good last week. She's back out playing. I know she's had multiple surgeries in that area. She also had the hardware removal like I did, and I know she's talked openly about it. Um. You know, I don't know if she's actually made a, a grip change or a stroke mechanics change. That was something um, she mentioned that uh, they thought about doing. But I, I think that now that she's had surgery, I think they're just continuing on with 
the hopes that, you know, maybe now that the anatomical change has been made, that she won't run into as many issues. And um, that's something else you have to think about, too. I think, you know, what's the level of the player? And then is the stroke like one of their very best strokes? And how much do we want to change it? And so um, I'd say that's a, a game time decision from the coach and the player. But in our in our youth athletes or, you know, more of our um, junior tennis players and and maybe people that aren't at that pro level yet, you know, if they can choose to make that decision at that time, but in the developing players, um, it would definitely be a stronger consideration. Sure. Sure. What else do you want us to know about backhand wrist and how we can identify it, prevent it, treat it, make sure it doesn't have long-term effects, negative effects on our, our kids. Yeah, I think just starting to use the term, use the diagnosis so that it just becomes more recognizable. Um, so ulnar wrist pain and the non-dominant wrist or pinky-sided wrist pain and the non-dominant wrist on a two-hand and backhand, it's backhand wrist. And then the more we can start using this diagnosis, the more you know coaches can recognize it, players can start to recognize it. Um, and then, you know, on my end, hopefully healthcare professionals can start to recognize it and know the specific steps as they relate to tennis to treat it. Um, just like, like I said, just like we have tennis elbow and, you know, everyone's pretty easily able to identify that now and, and know exactly what's going on and maybe some of the initial treatment on their own if, you know, before they seek medical care. Um, that is our hope with backhand wrist is um, trying to maybe prevent this injury on the front end more or manage it better on the front end from the, the coach's standpoint or the player's standpoint and making those tennis changes before um, having to get into the medical system and um, maybe be over-diagnosed or over-medicalized and, and having unnecessary procedures. Got it. So once again, if people want to reach you, they can reach you on your website, The Athlete Connection. Um, are you available for video consultations, phone consultations, especially now during COVID? How's that work? Yeah, so I'm happy to be a resource in any way that I can for parents um, who want to reach out and have questions. Um, as far as treatment goes, I'm limited to the state of Illinois. I can do um, telehealth or in person here. Um, we're kind of limited with COVID in that sense. But um, as far as like actual treatment goes, um, I can treat you if you're in Illinois. But otherwise, I can be a general resource and provide education or advice, recommendations along the way as needed. Um, but I am also free to do, um, you know, tele uh, or virtual wellness visits. And if that's more of an injury prevention or sports wellness um, per, uh, service, I can provide that to really anyone. And how does somebody reach you for something like that? Yeah, so they can email me. Um, I'm at Kayla at the athlete connection PT.com. Um, you can visit my website. My phone number is on there too. Um, and I'm also on social media at the athlete connection. Okay, I'm just going to put this up. So there is Kayla's email address if people have questions and they can shoot her and shoot you an email and um, you'll respond. And I will vouch for her. She is very quick to get back um, when you email her. So uh, thank you for that. It's, yeah. it's nice to know that we can get a hold of you easily if we need that. Um, 
Kayla, I think this is really cool. I mean, like I said, I grew up, of course, knowing what tennis elbow was. Everybody knows now what tennis elbow is, even people that don't play tennis. But having a new diagnosis, such as backhand wrist, I think the more specific um, diagnoses and and nomenclature we can have for injuries and conditions in tennis players, the more likely they are to get effective treatment to either help prevent the injury or help them fully recover so they don't have long-term effects from that. And I know, you know, that's the work you've been doing. Of course, that's the work Dr. Mirujianthi does as well through Emory Tennis Medicine and through the Society for Tennis Medicine and Science. Tennis, wait, I said you got it right. right. You got it. Did I get it right? I always get to say the um, acronym in my head. But are there future studies on the horizon, other injuries y'all are looking at to put a name to? So right now, I think this is our the primary one we're working on and um, just trying to get that information out there. You know, when you pu- make publications, the time to actually implement it into actual clinical practice, there's a big gap in how many years it takes. So the more we can spread this message amongst the tennis players and the coaches and parents who are actually going to be closest to this type of injury, the, the better it is for us to get it start getting it noticed. Great. Well, thank you again for coming on and sharing your research, your publication, and your knowledge with the Parenting Aces community. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to our next chat. Um, Keep me posted on what's going on in the tennis medicine world. Um, Between you and Dr. J, I feel like we've got it covered here on Parenting Aces. (laughs) Sounds great. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. And to those of you watching, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.